This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Hi, my name is Dr. Lou Diaz, pastor of Butte Bible Fellowship located at 2255 Pillsbury Road in Chico. And I'm providing inspirational teaching for you from God's Word each week. Listen to my weekly radio program, Encouraging Words with Dr. Lou Diaz, at 10 a.m. on Saturday or 10 a.m. on Sunday. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. The title of today's message is Jesus Obtained Eternal Redemption for Us. Hebrews chapter 9. As we look at this passage that we have before us, it's so rich, but let me go back to chapter 8 for a moment to cover that in chapter 8 it mentioned the new covenant. The new covenant was referred to in Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34, and it promised three things, a transformed heart, a special relationship, and a cleansing of sin. The Lord said, I will remove your stony heart and give you a heart of flesh. That is, that is, instead of you being impervious to me, you will be responsive and sensitive to me with a new heart. You'll be a new creation. You will want to love me. You will want to obey me because you'll have a soft heart towards me, not a hard heart towards me. And secondly, I will be your God and you will be my people. We have a special relationship with God in the new covenant through Jesus Christ. And we have the cleansing of sin, that God's mercies have made it possible for our sins to be forgiven. And so God remembers them no more. Those are the three elements of the new covenant that has been established through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And it says in Hebrews 8.13, by calling this new covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. The writing of the book of Hebrews was before A.D. 70. The reason we know that was because the writer of Hebrews is still referring to sacrifices being made. But do you know what happened in A.D. 70? General Titus, the Roman general, came with his armies and destroyed Jerusalem, including tearing down the temple stone by stone so that not one stone remained upon another. A direct fulfillment of what Jesus said would happen. <clears throat> now, why that's significant <clears throat> is that the sacrifice of Jesus alone is what we need for the forgiveness of sin. Therefore, the temple system of sacrifice is no longer needed. It's obsolete. It's outdated. And thereby, the whole temple system has been ended. So now we come to chapter 9. And in chapter 9, we read how sins were atoned under the Old Covenant. Under the Old Covenant, Moses was told to build a tabernacle. And that tabernacle was to represent the heavenly tabernacle. It had two rooms to it, the holy place 
and the most holy place, or the holy of holies. Now, I have found this to be a rich study in God's Word that I can't wait to dig into and share with you in depth. Now, in sharing this with you in depth, let me say to you this, that I was impressed that the first room, the holy place, had to do with furniture and the symbolism of of those items for... um, dealing with sin, that were external regulations, external cleansings or washings. But the holy of holies, the internal inner room, the second room, has to do with the day of atonement, the cleansing, the forgiveness of sin. So right there, in the picture of the temple with the holy and the holy of holies, the first room and the second room, You have the external and the internal dynamics of how sins were atoned for. Let's read about that. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 1, it says, Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also had an earthly sanctuary, a tabernacle, mentioned in Exodus 25 and following. And this tabernacle was set up, and in its first room were the lampstand and the table, with its consecrated bread, this was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. The Ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the Ark were the cherubim of the glory overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in detail now. So the writer of Hebrews is rehearsing for the Jewish people, he's, the Jewish believers he's writing to, that you remember that there was a tabernacle, and then that tabernacle which traveled in the wilderness with the Israelites became a temple, and the temple, like the tabernacle, had the same structure. You have the holy place and the most holy place. But his emphasis is on the Ark of the Covenant. What is the Ark of the Covenant? The Ark of the Covenant, which is in the most holy place, or the Holy of Holies, is something that the high priest went into once a year, and he would offer blood for the forgiveness of sin for the nation on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Now, why is this an emphasis by the writer of Hebrews, because he's going to make a point that earthly high priests went in there once a year, but Jesus goes into the true tabernacle in heaven one time, which is heaven, which is in the very presence of God. He's there one time for all time, and he makes a sacrifice. He places on the Ark of the Covenant his own blood for the forgiveness of our sin for all eternity. So we praise God that we have eternal redemption because Jesus entered into the true tabernacle and offered his blood on the real Ark of the Covenant, which is in heaven. This is a profound truth that the writer of Hebrews is trying to communicate, and in doing so, he lays the groundwork with this background but he doesn't get lost in the detail. He says, I'm not going to go through what every single item represents 
Just keep in mind the Ark of the Covenant. By the way, do you see this picture of the Ark of the Covenant? It has the cherubim with wings overarching the center of the Ark, touching, representing the glory of God and the very presence of God. No one can come into the presence of God unless they are 100% holy. And not one of us is 100% holy. We've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. But thanks to the shed blood of Jesus placed on the Ark of the Covenant, we're not only forgiven, we're made righteous in God's sight so that we can enter into the Holy of Holies. We're going to read later in Hebrews that the temple is the body of Christ. The temple curtain is the body of Christ. You remember when Jesus was crucified on the cross? Inside the temple was a curtain dividing the holy place from the holy of holy places, and it was 30 feet tall. And somehow this curtain, when Jesus died, was torn from top to bottom. It's like God took it like a telephone book and he ripped that curtain from top to bottom, signifying that the way into God's very holy presence has been made through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So there you have a picture of the temple and its meaning for you and for me. Past sacrifices covered but did not cleanse away sins. This is a very important principle that the writer of Hebrews is making, and we see this made in Hebrews 9, 6-10, whereas he's talking about the priest and how they entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. He then focuses in on the high priest, verse 7, but only the high priest entered the inner room and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. In other words, the sacrifices represented the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus. And Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. What does it mean that he's the way? He is the way into the very presence of God. He is the way into the holy of holies. He is the way for your sins and mine to be completely forgiven and completely washed away by his blood so that we might have eternal salvation, eternal redemption through faith in Christ. Praise God that this was going to be revealed and that the Holy Spirit is the one who reveals these things. They're spiritually discerned. Past sacrifices covered but did not cleanse away sins. The writer of Hebrews says this is an illustration for the present time indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying 
until the time of the new order, till the time of the new covenant. The new covenant established in the blood of Jesus makes the way for us to come into a personal relationship with God, whereas the past offering of animals was only symbolic and covered over the sin, those who trust in Jesus Christ are cleansed from all unrighteousness. Praise be to God. Our sin is not just covered, it's cleansed. It's removed from us. We are forgiven. It's paid in full. And the writer goes on to say, but when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, the heavenly one, that is not made with human hands, that is to say, is not a part of this creation. So when Moses was given instructions to build a tabernacle, he was being given instructions to build a tabernacle, which was a copy of the real thing that's in heaven. And where did Jesus provide our salvation? In the true tabernacle, in the real tabernacle, in the heavenly tabernacle where it counts. So based on that, we have eternal redemption. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. Praise God! Jesus, thank you for going into the eternal and the true tabernacle and offering your own blood on the Ark of the Covenant so that we might receive the very mercy of God and his complete forgiveness so that you could buy us, purchase us, redeem us by your precious blood forever. We are yours, Lord. We belong to you. We've been bought with a price, the precious blood of Jesus. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? The blood of Christ doesn't just cleanse our sins, but it gives us peace in our conscience. You know, in the Psalms, Psalm 32, David is talking about the glories of the forgiveness of God. And he says, God forgave me of my sin and the guilt of my sin. Wow. He didn't just forgive me that I sinned against him. He forgave me of all those guilty feelings that I could go rummaging through to feel self-pity, to feel self-condemnation, to feel that he doesn't love me. But no, he forgave my sin and he forgave the guilt of my sin. I have a clear conscience before God. I have peace with God because I've been set right with God through the shed blood of Jesus. There's power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of Jesus. And it doesn't stop there. I'm not just forgiven, but I'm now on a mission. And that mission is to stop living for myself and to serve the living God. 
is to serve one another, serve other people in love, in His love, to make known the mighty acts of God saving people through faith in Jesus Christ. So I was headed to the road of eternal death, I have eternal life, and the quality of that eternal life is to serve the Lord as His priest. He's made all of us priests to declare His wonderful works to others. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, a new agreement, a new contract that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. So now are you having eternal redemption through faith in Christ? You have an eternal inheritance through the death of Christ. So because his work is so real, so complete, so um, qualified as legitimate, you have been purchased with the blood of Christ and an eternal inheritance of glory and reward is waiting for you in heaven. That's the grace of God. We don't deserve any of that. We deserve death. For the penalty and the wages of sin is death, eternal death, eternal separation from God. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, thanks to his shed blood. He's the mediator, the one between us and the Father, who has ratified the new covenant by his shed blood. And we're called to inherit this eternal inheritance. In fact, this next point is, again, a reiteration of what we're saying But because Jesus entered the true temple, he has dealt with sin once for all time. Let's read about that in Hebrews 9, 22-26. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. The verses prior to this were talking about how Moses had to sprinkle everything with blood. He had to sprinkle the scroll with blood, the people with blood, the tabernacle with blood, and all the... Worship implements with blood. Everything had to be covered with blood. Why all this blood? Because without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. Now this points out something very important. That sacrifices indicate that sin deserves death. But that God will accept the death of a substitute in place of the life of the sinner. So all the sacrifices showed how serious sin is, but pointed to Jesus, who is the ultimate sin bearer, the ultimate sacrifice for our sin. Jesus gave his life blood. He gave his life for you and for me. And without the shedding of innocent blood, he had to be the perfect sacrifice without any sin. And he did not sin even though he experienced every temptation to the nth degree, he fulfilled all righteousness. And as a perfect sacrifice, he could give his life for our sins. Remember, the high priest had to offer a sacrifice for his own sins and then for the people's sins. Jesus did not have to offer a sacrifice for his sins because he was sinless. And because he was sinless, his death counts for our forgiveness. His righteousness counts is attributed to us because he fulfilled all righteousness. Praise be to God for the shedding of Jesus' blood 
for our forgiveness. It shows the seriousness of sin, but it also shows the grace of God, that He should love us even when we were enemies of His. Christ died for us. So Jesus entered that true temple to deal with sin once for all. In verse 23 it says, It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. He's the mediator. He's the high priest. He's the sin substitute. He did it for you, and he did it for me. He did it for us. Praise God for that great love. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. Once for all. Not a repeated sacrifice, not a mass that's done over and over again. This is a sacrifice that was once for all. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. You can't get any clearer than that. Praise be to God, Jesus entered the true temple to deal with sin once for all time. So when you doubt your salvation, when you struggle with, am I forgiven? When you ask the question, am I really going to heaven? When you are wondering, does God love me? The answer to all those questions is Jesus has done away with all your sin. All your sin is under the blood of Christ. Past, present, and future. You are forgiven. You are fully forgiven. You are eternally forgiven. You are eternally saved. You have eternal redemption. You have an eternal inheritance because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross for you and for me. Reasons to praise Jesus. We're jumping up and down and thanking Him for so great a salvation. Hallelujah. What a Savior. But it doesn't stop there. There's more. Jesus is coming back to complete our salvation. Let's read about that in Hebrews 9, 27-28. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Now, what does this mean? First of all, may we clearly debunk reincarnation. It says in Hebrews 9.27 that people die once, and after that is the judgment. People do not die in order to become another life form, and if they lived well, they move up the chain of life forms. Because we're all sinners, that doesn't make any sense, because we'd be going down, not up. But the Bible clearly says you die one time and then you await the judgment. It doesn't say you die once, become something else, become something else, become something else, and work your way up so that you avoid judgment. Reincarnation is a lie from the devil. And this Bible verse says so. But it goes on to say 
that just as people are destined to die once and after that to judgment, Jesus was sacrificed once to take away the sins of us who believe in him, and he's coming back. But when he comes back, he's not coming as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's coming back as the Lion of Judah who's going to finish the job. Now, what does it mean he's going to bring salvation to us? I thought we were already saved. No, salvation has three parts. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. We're being saved right now from the power of sin. And we're going to be saved ultimately from the presence of sin. And salvation, to be fully topped off, is when you and I receive our glorified bodies. That's the fullness of salvation. When we see him, we shall be like him. And so when you die, your soul goes to heaven. But when Christ comes back, the dead in Christ, their physical bodies, shall rise up out of the ground and be glorified. And we who are still alive at that time of Christ's return, our bodies will instantly be glorified. That's the fullness of salvation. And we shall be together forever. Encourage one another with these words. That's full salvation. This whole world is waiting for the full redemption of men that we receive our glorified bodies. And that this world be transformed back to and better than the Garden of Eden with the new Jerusalem. We look forward to that. We're waiting for Christ's return. We're waiting for our soon coming King. Soon and very soon. Jesus, the King, is coming. And we're waiting for that. And we're so thankful for our full salvation. Now, if you're sitting here or you're listening to my voice and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, what are you waiting for? I mean, he's done all the heavy lifting. He's died on the cross for you. He shed his blood for you. He offered that blood on the true tabernacle, Ark of Covenant, so you could be forgiven forever. All you need to do is trust in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, and your sins are forgiven. They're washed away, and you are purchased by God to belong to him forever. And you can have the glorified body as Christ comes back for you. What are you waiting for? Trust in Jesus Christ because he is trustworthy. Trust in Jesus Christ because he is who he said he is. He has fully done everything necessary to provide for our forgiveness, to give us purpose in life, to serve him, and to have an inheritance waiting for us in heaven. Thank you, Jesus. We worship and praise you. He's so wonderful. Let's pray. Father, Our hearts are full of love and worship right now. We want to say thank you for all you've done for us through Jesus. And Jesus, we worship you as Lord and Savior. We thank you that what you have done, you've done thoroughly. What you have done lasts forever. What you have done will be completed when you come back. That what you began, you will complete. You who began a good work in us, you're faithful to complete it. And so we worship you. We wait for you and help us to serve you and be a witness for you in the meantime. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530 530- 
892-0521 to find out how you can connect with our weekly worship services and faith-building messages from God's Word.